This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. You're listening to A Little Pot of Joy, the podcast program. Welcome. This is A Little Pot of Joy, the podcast show. Our community is made up of so many amazing and diverse groups of people, as are the programs on Joy 94.9. There is something there for everyone. A Little Pot of Joy is where we highlight just some of these amazing programs. We're opening the evening with a podcast from Generation Next, Intersex Awareness Day. The Generation Next crew discuss the significance of Intersex Awareness Day and briefly explain what the day means and talk about the ongoing struggles intersex individuals go through. And for those of us who don't know, Intersex Awareness Day falls on October 26 each year, so put it in your diaries for 2015. So if you would like to listen to the entire podcast, go to www.joy.org.au forward slash gennext. There are more podcasts available for download from the Joy website, www.joy.org.au. This is A Little Pot of Joy, the podcast program. Welcome back to Generation Next. You're here with Maddie and Eleanor. (laughs) As we head into our segment on the Intersex Awareness Day, it comes on the same day that the very first demonstration by intersex people in North America was held. That's That was back in 1996. And um, they protested outside the American Association of Pediatricians, which was, I think, a really admirable effort. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So um, that's so it's marking that that special date. Yeah. To go into some definitions, if someone is intersex, that means when they're born, normally when you're born, the doctor will look between your legs and say, okay, that's a penis, it's a boy, or that's a vagina, it's a girl. But for people who are born intersex, there's a bit more, it's a yeah. bit more blurred. A lot of the time, ambig- one of the one of the particular, yeah, it's ambiguous. So one of, the, one, of, one of the cases can be, for example, in genitalia, there can be some ambiguity there where you go, is that clitoris or a penis? I don't know. Oh, is that long enough to be a vagina? There's a lot of variation that can actually naturally happen. There's also hormonal variation. So some people might have different levels of hormones to most of the population, or some people are less sensitive to particular hormones. And, and there's also genetic variation. So who knows what it, what a given person's chromosomes are? Absolutely. Almost, almost no one ever finds out. And there's a whole lot, there's a whole host of alternatives from the regular XX and XY variations. Yeah, because typically someone assigned female at birth will have XX chromosomes and someone assigned male at birth will have XY. But absolutely not always. Not always, definitely not. Just for those of you who know, the the, the range of statistics are between 0.05% and 1.7%, but more more towards the higher range of births are in some way uh, intersex. Because it's, it's not often talked yeah. about. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of people don't realise just how common it really is. The International Intersex Organisation, that's OII, they state that intersex is about as common as red hair, so it's really not that rare. Yeah. Just quickly, in terms of terminology... Mm. You do hear the word hermaphrodite used a bit. That's yeah, don't not, don't that, call intersex people hermaphrodites. That's, that's not that's a really, word. That's not a word you use about that's humans. That's offensive. In, biologically, that's not the case, and it's also used as you know to attack people. Yeah. Intersex is the generally the preferred terminology. Yeah, unless you're talking about snails. <laughs> snails are indeed hermaphrodites. It's, it's actually it's interesting. What a lot of people don't think about is they often lay, they often lump intersex people in with transgender and gender diversity, but. Those are very different things, actually. Yeah. Um, interse- intersex people may or may not identify with the 
because they, at least at, at the moment, they pretty much always get assigned either male or female at birth. Unfortunately, it's it's just the way we're, we're op- we operate as a society at the moment. Um, most people will identify in the sex that they're raised. Again, like the general population, but you can't just you can't label that as definitely the case. And again, and uh, uh, something that OII brings up is that it's it's a bit questionable to also to refer to them as cis as well or cisgender um, because a lot of the time people will have had medical treatment to impose sex characteristics which means that there is definitely a bit oh of, definitely yeah of wiggle room there and um i was looking at not long ago something put out by the department of health uh decision making principles for the care of infants children and adolescents with intersex conditions i got handed a copy of this a couple of years a year or two ago um and found it kind of fascinating mm. but um and it has a big list of the principles and things like and that it's fairly recent too to, uh last year yeah so i got it just after it came out actually i remember mm. Um, one thing that I love is like the ethical considerations, ethical principles. This is so you're a new parent, your child has been born, your infant has ambiguous genitalia and cannot be assigned a sex at that time. Um, the ethical principles. First one, minimize the physical risk to the child. Yeah. Like that is Im- just that's, imperative. That's the main focus, which is absolutely. Yeah, that's definitely. Like, you don't want to anesthetize a newborn. Yeah, that's really not a great idea. You know, not to mention the physical procedure and mm. how it will affect them throughout their life. Even an anaesthetic is pretty bad for a newborn. Yeah. Uh, second one, minimise the psychosocial risk to the child. Yep. So, and they do put it, the risk of assigning the wrong sex of rearing means that, meaning that if a child is assigned, say, female at birth and has, you know, surgical intervention, they grow up identifying as male... You know what? You've just messed them up a bit, right there. Well, yeah, that that'll that means that they'll grow up as trans. And I mean, I'm going to be honest here. If 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 you can raise someone as the gender that they closely identify with right from birth, that's always going to be a favourable outcome. Yeah. Um, preserve the potential for fertility. Yep. So throughout their life, you yep. know, you don't want to be removing that something option. That, you know, yeah, definitely. Yeah, just There's the option a, is the important. You're saying, you know, I think those are yep. testicles, or but. We want to assign the child as female. Don't remove them. That might be their potential for, yeah. fer- for fertility gone. Yeah. Um, next up, preserve or increase capacity to have satisfying sexual relations. And I actually, looking at that, I mean, I can understand where they're coming from. But that is a very touchy topic because th- the topic can really imply that to be, to have satisfying sexual relations, you should have the expected air quotes genitalia and the, and conform to that binary and i think that that's a, a little bit of a dangerous topic to start banding about in society because um i know as a transgender girl that having ge- uh, genitalia that people don't expect can be um a social problem because people are, just aren't open to those ideas but at, at the same time like it's who i am that it's a part of me and 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 I'm not going to shut that down and completely ignore it, you know, stick my head in the sand. Yeah. So, th- I mean, that that's possibly one area that we could look at yeah, changing as, or improving as a society. One thing that's done, like we were talking about how, like the clitoris and the penis are pretty much the same structure. It's just that in, you know, in an Eastern dom- dominant yeah. system, it will grow differently to in a testosterone dominant system. Yeah. And if it's decided that an intersex child with, you know, a 
uh, something that might be a clitoris or a penis, and they will like remove part of it to be close to the typical size of a clitoris. That's removing a hell of a lot yeah, of nerve endings yeah. right there. Yeah, and if people, for example, don't have an, a vaginal tunnel that's the same length as what's expected, they can actually be forced to use what is essentially a medical dildo to yeah dilators to, to dilators exactly to to increase that and that's just that's a really invasive procedure and I'm like well yeah. that's really not good. Um, one of the, the most important options, like ethical considerations that they mention, is to leave options yeah. open for the future. So that's that's definitely seeing that we you know we're, we're making a little bit of progress. Idea, or at least hope I hope so. Like they do the- they do mention in the previous point that. Decisions about an infant's sexual functioning should be informed by principle of sexual diversity. That includes, quote, on a non-heteronormative basis. So like that it. looks a little bit promising. Yeah, definitely. But again, it's it's a case of intersex people have had these decisions taken away from them for so long. And that's yeah. just really not okay. And the last two considerations they mentioned are the parents' wishes and the child's, and the child's views. In cases when they're not an, in, an infant, yeah. Yeah, so one thing that I do find to be really important, Eli, if I was to have a child, which I doubt that I will ever do, and if that child was born with ambiguous genitalia, one of the suggestions that comes from this publication is... Uh, they do recommend that a gender be assigned to the child, but not so that no surgical treatment happens. Yeah. Gender as- assignment just comes with you know name and style and yeah. things like that, and be open to the possibility that that is not how the kid will identify when they yeah. grow up. So that that uh, so look, th- these are these are solid ideas, and just re- just remember, like there's actually a large proportion of people that um are are at least in some way intersex, and. Again, we're focusing on be a good ally, be nice, and be and just be tolerant of people, and not just tolerant as in I'll deal with it. Be tolerant as in be open minded and listen to their experience. And Absolutely, that's, that's really the key message here. You're listening to a little pot of joy with Alice and Andrea. Up next, we have a podcast from Stand Up Straight. This one's called Being Intersex, Andrea's Story. So last week, our very own Andrea from A Little Pot of Joy, who's sitting across from me right now, went on to stand up straight to talk to Stefan Clayton about her lived experiences as an intersex woman. How was that? Oh, it was a very frightening experience. Yeah, <laughs> you're very brave. Well, it's really funny. Being intersex is something you normally hide. You don't bring it out in the open. Mm. And it's something that you know, you're taught from a fairly early stage. I actually found out when I was in my early 30s. Yeah, uh, wow. Post-surgery where the surgeon came, uh, said, well, uh, we found this. Uh, you're actually intersex. You have both bits. And at that stage, he turned around and said, well... You don't need to tell anyone, and it's best to keep it to yourself. And unfortunately, that's the way the whole intersex community is being treated. It's terrible, isn't it? But it's amazing. If you were to walk outside there and look left and right on Burke Street at the moment, you're sure to see at least one or two intersex people in amongst the crowds. That's right. I think in one of our intersex spotlights tonight, we've got that being intersex is as common as having red hair, which I thought was great. So there you go. For every red-haired person that you can see, there's just as many intersex people around. I would have liked to have had red hair. Yeah, <laughs> you do have red hair, Andrea. <laughs> Maybe not what nature gave you. but I like it. Yeah, it looks good. <laughs> and this is an absolutely fantastic interview. Andrea is embarrassed for me to say this, but it really is definitely worth a listen. So if you're only going to listen to one podcast this week, I'd say... Go on the website joy.org.au or the iTunes store and check out Being Intersex, Andrea's Story. You're listening to A Little Pot of Joy, the podcast program. 
Good evening and welcome. I'm Stephanie Longmuir and you're listening to Stand Up Straight. Tonight, Clayton and I have a very special guest, Andrea, who you may have heard on Joy before. She is certainly no stranger to Joy. And Andrea is going to talk about being an intersexed individual. Hello, Andrea, and welcome. And hello, Clayton. Hi. Hi. Before we get started with our wonderful interview with Andrea, we're just going to play a little audio, audio taken from a BuzzFeed video. You can check out that video on YouTube, but I will also link it into the podcast. So, Andrea, how well do you relate to that audio? Well, I actually form a different part of the intersex community. I'm actually part of the Kleinfelter spectrum. And you also have to remember that I'm an individual. I only form one little tiny part of the intersex community. And there are many different types of intersex conditions. And with me, I'm part of the Kleinfelter spectrum where I carry Mm -hmm. an extra chromosome. So I have parts of me being a mosaic. I have uh, a 4647XXY makeup where some of me has the regular XY chromosomes as any other male, but other parts of me carries XXY So I carry two X chromosomes in some of my cells. So is it every second cell has those extra chromosomes or...? No idea. Unfortunately, someone has to dissect me to find out. (laughs) We probably don't want to do that. So Andrea, as you know, I'm an older mother and I had testing for my third child. Is that something that would show up in an amnio or a CVS, that the the XY chromosomes...? That's one of the things they're actually screening for these days is that if a fetus is showing up as having XXY or any of the Kleinfelter spectrum, they actually suggest you terminate the pregnancy. Oh, that's appalling. Very much so. So it's a very routine test. And if you look at Belgium, about 70% of all Kleinfelter fetuses are terminated. Gosh, I didn't, you know, I wasn't aware of that. And okay, thank you. Um, Andrea, I'm just wondering, are there any medical risks associated with any of the intersex conditions? Okay, for my condition, I'm prone to tumours, particularly breast tumours. Right. And I also did develop a tumour in my early 30s. I'm in my late 50s now. Well, prior to that, I didn't even know that I was intersex. No. Um, As a follow-up post-surgery, meeting up with a surgeon, he basically informed me that they removed an undifferentiated ovary that had a teratoma on it. At that particular time, I didn't even know what intersex was. And he basically told me that no one needs to know. It's just something you just keep to yourself and that's it. And he put it in a way that made me feel a little bit uncomfortable with the whole thing. Basically, the first thing a doctor told you was, so you've got Kleinfelters, you probably just don't tell anyone. That's probably the best way to go about it. That was it. Yeah. So that's the message we're giving to people is that if you're different, don't tell people. How does that make anyone feel? I think it isolates you. I would dearly love to meet other people with Kleinfelters or any other intersex Well, that's my next question. Condition. I mean, it's 2015. Are there support groups? There is a support group for AIS or androgen insensitive syndrome. But for Kleinfelters, it's really just Facebook groups and just bulletin boards and things like that. You, apart from being intersex, you also are a trans woman? Yes. So when did you transition or affirm your gender? Officially, I transitioned at around the age of 49, so that's about eight years ago. Mm -hmm. I actually just decided to transition on my own, (laughs) Mm -hmm. which was a whole lot easier because of my body development. It just made it easier to fit in. Mm -hmm. And life's good. And I seem to fit into the world as me. And I'm in a wonderful relationship. I've been married for the last 38 years. 
and I have the most gorgeous wife ever. My next sort of question comes from, I had the misconception that people who were into sex were unable to have children. Okay, that's not really true. Mm -hmm. Uh, With me, I was lucky enough to be able to conceive naturally without any assistance. And And at that stage, I didn't know that I had Kleinfeld. So I have three gorgeous children and I have three gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous grandchildren. And I've seen the photo of the youngest one who is two weeks old and she is just adorable. She is. How do you feel about being included with the G, L and B when they are relating to sexuality and transgender? Do you feel that the I fits in with all of that as well? It's probably a bit like, you know, when you look at the history of LGBTI community and you look at it, you had gays. Then lesbians aligned themselves, so all of a sudden we have GNL. Then we started looking at another group that was alienated and had no had a very small voice, and eventually the T came along, the transgender. And now there's a community starting to build, and they're building a stronger voice to create some awareness of people just being people. And it's probably, for me, I understand that. And I think one of the hardest things for me is that the I is left out from Mm. most things. And there isn't much awareness of what it's like to be intersex or what intersex really is. What does it mean? I can be part of the Kleinfelter spectrum. I'm a mosaic, but I'll never find someone else who is exactly the same as me. Uh, There's Mm. some variation there. Mm. So having being so fragmented and not meeting any other people, I think it's a really good thing having the I in the LGBTIQ acronym. Absolutely. Is there a stigma from within the GLBTI community towards intersex people? Yes, there is. How would you describe that stigma? I've actually found that more amongst the transgender community. Okay. A lot of transgender people seem to think that it's a, a way of justifying being transgender. Oh. And that's why I really wanted to push the point that in my own self, I am transgender, but I'm also primarily intersex. Mm-hmm. And I was born male because I carry a Y chromosome. They are not... The intersex and transgender is not related. But over the years, I've had quite a few transgender people come up to me and, and say, oh, how do I prove that I'm intersex because you know i'm a girl and okay (laughs) you're transgender just like i am and do you have any physical issues do you have any conditions that you can attribute to being intersex no well you're not intersex no and so uh, even the transgender community sometimes doesn't understand the difference between the two no they don't Mm -hmm. and it, a lot of people seem to think that I'm using it as an excuse. Well, you know, there's a physical condition there. It's not something that's that easy to disguise. Just a reminder that people can go to Q Lives on YouTube and there are some great personal stories on intersex people. It would be great to get Andrea's story recorded. So there you go, Andrea. You are now in demand. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay, and I've kind of asked this, well, I've asked this in a totally different way, actually. So what's the biggest misconception about intersex people? I think the biggest misconception is that we're a mistake or we're freaks or Mm. something like that. We're people. Yeah. And we add value to the community. I was an engineer. I worked all over the world. I brought a lot of money back into Australia. So I added to the economy. I've added value to lots and lots of people's lives. You pay your taxes. And I pay my taxes. Mm -hmm. I'm a person, just Mm -hmm. like anyone else. Why do we have to be treated as second-class citizens? Why do we have to be treated as freaks? Mm. We're people at the end of the day. We just happen to be a slight variation to what is accepted as the norm. 
as soon as you can establish normal, let me know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's interesting, you know, off this website, I got this great quote that I read out on, on Chris and Cam's show as an intro to what we're doing tonight. And again, this comes off the Intersex Society of North America's website. And it says, humans decide where male ends and female begins not nature, which provides a spectrum. And, you know, ain't that the truth? That couldn't be any truer than that. You're listening to A Little Pot of Joy on Joy 94.9 with Alice and Andrea. Up next from Word for Word from a podcast back in February 2012, actually, My Intersex Life. One child in 4,500 born at Melbourne's Royal Women's Hospital is intersex. What does intersex really mean? Dean is joined on Word for Word by a true pioneer within the LGBTIQ community, Tony Briffer. Tony talks frankly about his growing up as Antoinette, why at 29 years of age he became Tony and how he happily identifies as both male and female. If you can't listen to the show live, download the podcast from Joy website, www.joy.org.au or the iTunes store. This is A Little Pot of Joy, the podcast program. This is Word for Word, coming to you from Australia's first gay and lesbian radio station, Melbourne's Joy 94.9. Hello and welcome to Word for Word. Dean Beck with you today. Now, if you could possibly imagine what it was like to be born with both genitalia, the challenges that presents, the discrimination, the difficulty throughout, one person in our community is prepared to speak up about it and has not only done that, but succeeded in life to become the Mayor of Hobson's Bay. It is my great pleasure to welcome to Word for Word, Tony Briffer. Hello, thank you. Tony, your life is an extraordinary one, and yet you go through it with the biggest smile and the greatest amount of energy. You are an inspiration. Let's start, I guess, when you realised you're a bit different. Wow. Um, I don't think I ever remember a time that I didn't know. Um, I was different to be honest um i'm a twin so i've got a non-identical twin sister and i've been going to the royal children's hospital um for as long as i remember unlike most children who go to the royal children's hospital it was your most intimate bits that were being fiddled with each and every time i can only imagine well it was actually quite funny in a way looking back at it i mean you know i've got a sense of humor and i see things in a peculiar way perhaps but as a kid my mum would called that that area my private yeah. and I used to think well it's a strange name for something that obviously isn't that private and and it is creating so much attention <laughs> that's right, right. Yes. Um, and, and I was I have to say because I'm a very strong advocate for people with disabilities and those experiences made me that way because I grew up with all these children just so terminally ill um, and course. seriously ill at the Royal Children's Hospital and at the time I was thinking well I must be really sick as well mm. um, only to find out later on as an adult that I was actually never ill to begin with. I was just born with a, a genetic variation. Um, and really, it's not a medical condition. It was just a biological variation where I'm lucky enough it's called, to be born with extra bits. And that's the difference of <laughs> with, that, that you have made it, I, I guess. It, as you know, is a condition that has destroyed many people. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the, that's the really tough part about it. Well, if I can just say, it's probably not the condition that destroyed so many people. It's the it's society and the shame, the stigma, the taboo that the medical community has attached to having that condition over so many years. Now, you're going to have to excuse me if I'm clumsy in my no, language right. at time to time. You mentioned uh, AIS before. Androgen insensitivity. Oh, androgen insensitivity yeah, syndrome. So what it means is that it's a condition where um, even though... I'm 
uh, genetically male, so typically male, 46XY. My body didn't develop along normal pathways to be male because my body doesn't respond fully to androgens. Which is the, the, the trigger for the testes to descend and for the penis, penis to, to develop. develop because at the end of the day, we're all varied women. Well, that's, birth, that's exactly right. So, male or female, we married women. Yeah, yeah. So, if those things don't happen, um, you end up having a child that looks exactly female. In my case, um, when I was born, doctors weren't sure. So, yes, I had a vagina and I had largely female genitalia, uh, but my clitoris was somewhat large, and they had I had lumps um, in my above my groin area, I guess, where they realised I've got testes. So. Yeah. And and I guess at first glance that wouldn't have been noticed. Oh no no they knew that. Well, oh, they, did they? Yeah, um, because my I'm bragging now because my my because your lumps were quite big because my clitoris was so <laughs> well. Um, <laughs> but I mean it clearly it wasn't it wasn't more of a clitoris than a penis. I mean yeah. I certainly couldn't urinate from it or yeah, anything yeah, yeah. like that. And it, and if look to be honest if it was if it was an inch long the. The inch was the critical thing at the time. Uh, if it was an inch, they would say, okay, it's a male and do horrible, horrible surgeries to make me a male. Um, in my case, it was a lot short, smaller than that, so they decided to yeah. go th- along the female path. Um, and that then involved all sorts of surgeries as a child, including uh, being castrated. So they, they did remove my testes when I was a child. I guess the sad part is that it's a decision that you don't get to make. Yeah, and the High Court has made a decision in uh, in the early 80s that talks about um, doctors not being able to do non-therapeutic and irreversible surgeries to children and that's exactly what these surgeries are. So that decision came down to the High Court in the early 80s, and yet treatment of children with intersex conditions continued unabated in this country without family court approval. Um, Sometimes without recent, family approval. Largely without family approval. Let's, let's face it, families take the advice of doctors. Yeah. If doctors say, this is what we need to do to your child, your child has got this illness or condition, we need to do this, that's what you do. Mm. You do what's mm. best for your child, and that means listening from the professionals. This is one of those freaks of nature uh, that is evident right throughout uh, biology, right throughout mm. nature. Yep, a beautiful freak of nature. Absolutely. Indeed. And it's Indeed. been going on for, for well, f- for as long as ever. Um, so. But the, the intersex thing is something that many are discriminated um, you know, f- for, mm. for naturally occurring. And um, that's got to have presented a few challenges for you. You can't tell me that it's all been a bed of roses uh, from the entire community. Yeah. Um, see, I tend not to dwell on yeah. that. Like, just, I, look, I really can. I don't know what it is about me, but I tend to move on from the negativity really well. So whenever there has been any of that, I just, you know, okay, their problem and, and move on. Tony, when it comes to uh, the intersex uh, community, how broad is it? How how um, how many are there? How 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 often does this happen? Yeah, um, it's ex- look, it is extremely broad. There are a number of, and I mean, you know, tens of different types of um, of intersex conditions. In the case of where a child is born with um, atypical sex, so where a ch- uh, doctors aren't sure if the child is born male or female, that happens in one in four and a half thousand births. So one out of every four and a half thousand births, doctors aren't sure. That's a very... Uh, yeah. I, I, I mean, originally I would have thought that it was like a one in a million type yeah. of thing. So we're talking about 12 kids in Victoria a year. Yeah. Um, and that's figures that the Royal Children's Hospital came up with. And I have to say, Royal Children's Hospital are now leading the way in being very progressive about the way that children are treated. 
you say that there are there are twelve kids uh, a year here at Melbourne's Royal Children's Hospital born well in Victoria w- or in Victoria yeah, with this condition. Is there a um, a process, a counselling? Uh, is there some sort of understanding that those parents are given these days that wasn't a case then? Not routinely, no. Right. Um, so the support group would that is, help? Do you think? Uh, absolutely. Meeting other families affected by yeah. this condition certainly help. Like if the family's got to meet someone like you. Yeah. Yep, and that's what we do. So in the support group, we do that. But I have to say the support for the medical community for the support group really could be a lot better. Um, for that matter, the, the, the government support of the support group could be a lot better too. There's no funding or anything for it, so we're all volunteers. But um, it certainly makes a difference if we can, if we're going to have a family who's got a child with a sex condition to meet other parents of adult people with this condition to, say, to show them how you know, what they went through, how they managed to cope, to show them examples of adults successfully living with those conditions. I mean, even things as, as, um, if we look at genetic counselling, under the DHHS guidelines of what constitutes a a severe genetic abnormality, incredibly, we are considered, people with intersex conditions are considered a serious genetic abnormality, a genetic defect. Now, if you look at Not a miracle of... of, of no, of God, no, but, so to speak. So we're put in the same categories as conditions like spina bifida, Down syndrome and all that. Really? We are. So if you look at the the numbers of terminations oh. of, of fetuses with people with my condition, don't get me wrong, I'm you know, pro-choice and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah. pro-choice means also fully informed, you know. Yeah, so, sure. Um, parents or prospective parents are being told that this condition is very serious, it's a serious defect. And some routine terminations occur for people with my condition. And it's not really that serious, frankly. You seem to have done all right. Yeah. What is it like in the changing rooms at the yacht shed? That's a difficulty. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I must admit, um, we don't have, um, yeah, so segregated sort of showers or, you know, private mm, showers. Mm. So I, I avoid them. In fact, I've never used them. Yeah, I, sure. um, I don't do that. So, yeah, it's difficult. Does it upset you sometimes? Upset me. Um, look, it doesn't upset me. That's just that's my sixth sense of humour showing. Um, look, it is. It is. It is. It does get upsetting. Um, and I have. To, I've had to be careful over the years. You're listening to a little pot of joy on Joy ninety four point nine with Alice and Andrea. From Spirit Lounge back in February this year, Intersex and Spirituality. That's really going to top off our evening with some of the topics we've had. That's right. We've had a real intersex spotlight tonight. It certainly doesn't get talked about enough. One of the things we do have to remember is that we really do not understand what intersex really is. And there are so many different variants. And one intersex person with the same syndrome is not the same as the next person. We just share different traits. That's right, and we were talking before, we've heard from a few people who have an AIS variation, and you yourself, of course, are Kleinfelter's individual. Yeah, and it's really funny how the only real advocacy groups that are out there are AIS. It's a shame, isn't it? I mean, it's great that there's that service there for people who do have androgen insensitivity syndrome, but there's so many other intersex people who also need support. Oh, definitely. And one of the things we do need to do is really start opening up to people and discussing our own personal uh, stories and create a better awareness so that we're not trying to hide all these things as shame. At the same time, I think it's important for everyone else in the LGBTI community to open up and make that space because I know it's very hard, as we've kind of covered tonight, 
for intersex people who've experienced so much shame and taboo around their own bodies to have those discussions. So go out and do your own research as well, guys. <laughs> Up next from Spirit Lounge, uh, Intersex yep. and Spirituality. So with this one, Tal talks to Andy, who's the president of AISSGA, which is the Androgen and Sensitivity Syndrome Support Group Australia. Tal and Andy discuss life as an intersex individual with AIS. And if you just can't listen to the show live, you can download all these podcasts from the Joy website, joy.org.au or the iTunes store. You're listening to A Little Pot of Joy, the podcast program. You're in the Spirit Lounge on Joy 94.9. This is the show where we talk about spirituality and sexuality for our community. Good evening, faithful listeners. You're listening to the Spirit Lounge. Tonight we'll be tackling all things intersex. Our guest is... I'm very excited. I worked really, really hard to find find someone. And our guest is Andy. Andy is the current vice president and the past president of the... And this is a bit hard for me to get it all out, but the Androgen Insensitivity Syndrome Support Group Australia, AISSGA, and is also a member of the Uniting Church here in Australia. That's quite correct. So welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank it's you nice very, to be here. I guess we'll ask straight out, but what is intersex? Uh, intersex conditions are biological conditions. If I use the AMA definition, which is very technical, but basically it results in the birth of a child with uh, sex chromosomes or internal or external reproductive anatomy, which is not your standard typical male or female. And it sounds very convoluted, but basically it's somebody who doesn't fit that standard biological male-female you know, binary that we talk about. What sort of different ways can that be? Is that... Quite often you can end up with someone who looks completely male but has, for instance, a different chromosome pattern. So um, we see quite a lot of those sorts of conditions. We have people who are born looking completely female but who have... XY chromosomes and internal testes where they might otherwise have ovaries. Uh, there's pretty much, you can pretty much have anything really as a variation, um, except the only thing you don't get, which flies in the face of a lot of porno magazines and films and other things that people like to, to you know, put forward, you can't have somebody with both male and female reproductive anatomy in the same person. The reality is biologically it can't happen. How do people choose to identify? I guess it's a hard... I'm assuming the answer is going to be, well, it depends, but is there trends of any kind of... Do people identify as a... One gender or the other, or just some people do. There are some people who clearly identify as male or female, and probably the majority of intersex people do do that. Um, I've got to be careful saying the majority. The majority of the people I know who are intersex tend to do that. Sure. The but there are people who, and I think increasingly, as more is known and accepted about the intersex community and the people in that community. I think more people are learning to own who they are and actually start to identify more as being intersex rather than male or female. So what extent do you think are people are people shifted into taking up a certain gender role at birth or in the early stages of their life? Look, certainly that has been an issue in the past. Well, it still is an issue. I, I won't say in the past. It's still an issue for um, infants that are born with intersex conditions. They are, there is still a push. And we would argue from the point of view, most support groups that we deal with, 
argue that you can't raise a child. Certainly, currently, there is no way of raising a child as anything other than a boy or a girl. You try sending a child to a school as anything other than a boy or a girl, and it's going to cause all sorts of problems for that child. So there is certainly no choice at that sort of age. I think once people get older, there is that option. There is the option for them to identify as someone that's not necessarily. How can we or anyone else approaching people, what is, I guess I'm asking, what is okay, what's not okay to ask about or to pry into? Well, I mean, we, you know, we're people like anybody else. So we, uh, I guess any, any question that you would think would be sensitive if you ask somebody else uh, is something that intersex people would be sensitive about too. Um, you know, we, we don't go prying intimately into the detail of people's sex lives as a, you know, over a cup of coffee in the street with someone that we just meet. So the same applies to people with intersex conditions. <laughs> I see. So seeing that people would generally not just come up to me and be like, hey, Tull, so tell me about your penis. <laughs> that's that's um, exactly right. Therefore, yeah. it would seem probably inappropriate. I think that's a great, a great succinct uh, general rule. And was the church aware of your, I guess, condition? Not in the early days. And I guess that's because mostly I wasn't aware in the early days. One of the problems with, um, you know, not the full details of it. You couldn't put a name to it and be able to sit down and explain it as we have tonight. That's, that's not possible because for a lot of intersex people, they don't find out all of those sorts of intimate details until quite late in life, so sometimes 20s, 30s. And that's because the medical profession had a policy, if you like, of not telling intersex people about who they were. I, that's quite shocking. I had never heard of such a thing. I, can we just quickly maybe talk about that? What do you mean, what do you mean that they don't tell you? <laughs> well, they, they, there was a New Zealand-born psychologist called John Money. Now, John Money did a lot of research a long time ago that suggested if you raise a... The, the reason that boys think they're boys and girls think they're girls is this thing called the blue room, pink room theory. So if you give boys trucks and tanks and, you know, all that stuff and let them run around and get muddy and dirty and all that stuff, they'll think they're boys. If you give, you know, girls dolls and, you know, you know little tea sets and all those things to play with, um, they'll think they're girls. And so they used to call it the blue room, pink room theory. Now, he said with intersex children, it was very, very important to unambiguously raise them as either a boy or a girl and never let them doubt that that's who they are. And the only way to do that was not tell them that they're biologically, not necessarily, a boy or a girl. Okay, but you are going to find out eventually. Well, yes, and I think, you know, we all knew that. And if you talk to parents, of course, they're going to tell you, of course, a child's going to eventually find this stuff out. Even if you don't tell them, they'll work it out by themselves. Um, so, yes, it was probably a very bizarre, I mean, not probably, it was a very bizarre idea that you could keep this hidden. But they did for a very long time. That was the standard medical practice right through to, well, you know, into the 80s, the 1980s and, and you know, even later in some places, they still advocate not telling the truth to intersex people about who they are. So what's the approach for the intersex community when it comes to same-sex marriage? We have a, I suppose we have a, an interesting perspective on it because most intersex people, well, regardless of who they are, 
the biological reality of who we are doesn't fit in with the one man, one woman to the exclusion of all others. It's it's not possible because we are, by definition, because of who we are biologically, going to be in both the same sex and heterosexual <laughs> relationship, if you like. So it's actually impossible for us, even if we wanted to, and regardless of what I might say on a birth certificate, it's actually impossible for an intersex person to be to fit into that. That's you know the, the definition that we currently have anyway in the Act, the Marriage Act. Yes, yeah, certainly in the Marriage Act. But can intersex people? Let's okay. Let's backtrack then again. Even though that's according to the Marriage Act, can currently intersex people get married? We can. Now, the only problem with that is there's a couple of problems with it. It means that you, if you're one of the people who doesn't necessarily very strongly identify as male or female, you're going to have to, you know... Make a choice. Yeah, that's pretty much make it up as you go along and go, yeah, I'm going to have to put up with this to get married. The other problem that we've had in the past is where we've had, let's say, less than scrupulous uh, divorce lawyers they have actually used that person's intersex status against them in divorce proceedings. So even if they've been legally married, they then turn that against them in court to say, you shouldn't have been this marriage, it wasn't a lawful marriage anyway. I I see. (laughs) So it can be very unpleasant. So unfortunately, the current act without changes to it, uh, the sorts of changes that we all want when we talk about marriage equality across the spectrum, it's really important for intersex people for a number of reasons that are quite different, if you like, to you know other same-sex, if I can use that term, couples. Yeah, I mean, is same-sex even the appropriate term here? Well, you know, we, we have pushed for a long time. I think the, the entire GLBTI spectrum, let's be fair, has pushed for a while. What we're talking about is marriage equality. We're not talking about same-sex marriage. We're talking about marriage equality. Everybody being treated the same. Right. So we've moved from gay marriage to saying, hang on, we mean same-sex marriage to saying marriage equality. That's, that, that's, that's exactly right. You know, yeah. we should all be able to access marriage as an institution if that's what we want. If Yeah. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, that last podcast was pretty interesting, and it did raise some very, very interesting points about the legal side of being intersex. It did, didn't it? Interesting is one word. Disturbing might be another. How many different laws and different rights are associated with a particular gender? That's right, and we talk often in our community about gay rights and what it means if a woman and a woman or a man and a man want to be together, but we don't often look at this side of things. Well... You look at marriage, it's a union between a man and a woman currently, Mm. and it excludes everyone else. It's a very exclusionary thing for anyone that's intersex because we're somewhere in between. And as we heard, legally, we can be challenged. Even things as simple as superannuation, it's all covered by gender. Mm. And if you identify as, if you're actually identifying as intersex, you can be challenged on so many different levels. It's unbelievable. Like it should, it's it's fact that intersex people are a part of our community as much as anyone else, and yet there's no accommodation in the law at all. Well, in the state of Victoria, there have been a few people that had their marriages annulled when they changed their birth certificates oh to X God. to identify themselves as being intersex. It's just appalling. It was a very interesting podcast. Yeah, you should really it? go back and listen to the entire interview. Absolutely. And we've come to the end of another evening. It's been a fairly amazing program and some incredible podcasts in the lineup. Hasn't it? I love that we're doing a spotlight on intersex issues this week because they really just don't get enough airtime. Okay, well, I have to let you in on the secret. Go Alice actually talked me into doing it. Oh. <laughs> 
Now, I'm not sure that's strictly true. I think the only issue that Andrea had was that she didn't want to listen to her own interview, <laughs> which is fair enough. Okay, that's true. <laughs> but intersex is something that's really not talked about and mm. it's hidden away and it'd be really nice to put it on the table and let everyone have a look at it. That's right. So we love you listeners, but if you've taken anything away from this program, maybe hop online. There's some great videos now. If you go on YouTube, you can just hear people speaking to the camera about their own experiences and their lives as human beings who are also intersex. So go out and get some education. And of course, if you'd like to listen to any of the full podcasts we've had on tonight, you can. Being intersex is being an individual and... As individuals, we're just so different to everyone else. And I think it's a good thing. <laughs> I think so too. You've been listening to A Little Pot of Joy with Alice and Andrea. You've been listening to A Little Pot of Joy, the podcast program. See joy.org.au and click on our podcast link to subscribe to your favourite podcasts free. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.